Good morning, everybody. Beautiful morning. Sunshine just makes us feel better, doesn't it? Kidron has suggested I might read uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, and we'll start with that. Ruth 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will, re we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge, for thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, 
for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And so begins, at least in this writing, the story of Ruth the Moabitess. And I say at least in this writing because I think the story began a long time before what has been written and recorded. I'm thinking about a few evenings ago, a week ago possibly, that we were, uh, Marilyn and I went to a, we went to a, a big old concert. Well, really it was over here at Newton. And it was when the students get together and they've been practicing and singing and playing and then they do a presentation. And, and we're invited to go, you know, and, and listen and observe and enjoy their efforts. And with varying degrees of, of talent, why they present, and it's interesting. And part of what was accomplished that evening was the, I think middle school maybe as well as high school then, uh, had a band presentation. <coughs> I'm, I'm sure some of you have played in a high school band. And so they assemble all formally, you know, and, and the conductor stands up there and, and he gives some introduction and, and so forth. And then he begins to lead the orchestra. And he does so with precise movements. And so it often starts out kind of quiet, you know, and just a few of the instruments are playing and, and a rhythm has began and maintained and you'll see feet beginning to tap just a bit and the, and the conductor is waving his baton precisely and he's pointing with his finger at various sections and people and they come in at the right moments and they are quiet at the right moments and I honestly couldn't detect a single mistake but what do I know about it? And eventually everybody gets to play a part and maybe some play most throughout the whole piece, I don't know. And, but I think probably everybody plays a portion of it and typically near the end most everybody's playing and it, it reaches some kind of a crescendo or something depending on the piece and and all is quiet and and the conductor acknowledges what they've done and to the audience and and then we go on to another piece. Well, not unlike what's happening here in the book of Ruth. And in fact, moreover, in all of our lives. And that is this that thinking about our lives and what's happening with the orchestra and what's happening in the book of Ruth is that there's a whole gob going on behind the scenes that is not really apparent. There's been a lot of practice go into it, possibly, with the orchestra. 
But with the book of Ruth and what's written here, there's been an almighty God orchestrating behind the scenes and has been for many, many years. In fact, probably for centuries, in fact, for maybe all of, all of time to bring this together to this point and then this excerpt in the huge story, just an itty bitty little portion of it actually gets written just a few chapters. I mean, you got to often flip back and forth past it several times before you actually turn the pages to the book of Ruth. It's so small. But it's such a big story in the much bigger story. It's such an important story, I should say. And it's so interesting to me how that it's all been orchestrated. And each person, when the conductor points to that section or that person, it's their turn. And they need to respond because that's what they're here for. They're not just occupying a seat or just holding a flute or a tuba or a trombone or, or the drumstick just getting ready to pound. They're not just there. They're there for a purpose. And you and I, every one of us, we're here for a purpose. Uh, maybe not clear to us yet. And maybe not clear to us yet. But we're here for a purpose and we need to be prepared to respond. As it seems that Ruth was, and many of these things we really don't understand. We, we don't understand that how is it that Ruth, Ruth was certainly not of the chosen people. Although she had history there. But due to failings in her lineage, it seemed like there was no hope with the people such as the Moabites. They now lived on the other side of Jordan. In fact, on the other side of the Dead Sea is where they lived, on the east side. Maybe there's a significance there even. And, and there was actual Bible scripture written uh, how that these people certainly weren't favored, but yet Ruth was as it came to pass, as it seemed to be. We don't understand a lot of that stuff. But what we do recognize that when it, it became Ruth's moment, apparently, that she did respond. When, when the conductor pointed at her and his baton hit the timing just right, she responded. Makes me think of another... Um, experience. Uh, I actually uh, watched a video. Unfortunately, I can no longer find it. But it was a video. Um, now, we're all familiar, we read in the news anyway, about, about the, the monstrous atrocities in the city of Chicago and how rampant crime is there and how the disregard is for, for um, for uh, living a normal life, it seemed like largely, just so much going on. And anyway, the video was about, it was taken from um, a courtroom, and the judge was a lady, and she must have been quite a wise lady. I would assert that she was a Christian lady, although she couldn't in no way reveal it in that setting, but all of what she spoke was Christian virtue and principles. And her audience was teenagers. Um, I would suppose maybe uh, young teens, 
and maybe older teens. It appeared to be largely teenagers and maybe 25 present and they were there because that's where they belonged. And she was there because she was the judge and she was there to, to, to some degree determine their fate that day. And all the proceedings weren't on the video, but there come a time there and the video started when she began to simply address those children, those young adults, as if they were her children. And what she explained to them is that you're not gonna get many, maybe no more chances to do this right because the trajectory you're headed for is downhill and fast. And she told them uh, that they have the opportunity and she's giving them opportunity to correct their life. But what she really told them as they passed literally a box of Kleenexes, it was getting to their heart. She told them that she said, do you realize that what you're here in life to do, nobody else will do? There's nobody else ever gonna live now or later that can do what you are supposed to do. That there's something that, and I don't think she used the word created. She probably couldn't have, maybe that's why the video, I can't find it anymore, I don't know. Anyway, she explained to them clearly that, that you must, you personally must rise to the occasion that you are here for or it won't get done. And I thought that was so impressive. And, and I take that to heart myself. And it's up to each of us to try and respond to what comes into our life and to choices that are made available to us and that we choose wisely. Because it, it may indeed be God speaking to us at that moment that we're to respond to. For us to look ahead and know what that is, uh, probably not real likely in most of our cases. Maybe there's a few that actually can experience that, but most of us, we can't see that far ahead. We don't know. And so we uh, try to do the best that we know how to do with the opportunities and abilities <laughs> and privileges that we've been given. And, and that's really what Ruth did. That's really what Naomi did with uh, I'll say this in addition, that we make so many mistakes. I think Naomi did, maybe just uh, her husband did possibly, but uh, God gave her another opportunity, and he does. Uh, that's the beauty of grace with God. You know, there's, I think I can say that there's no other uh, religion that understands grace like Christianity, or that even teaches grace, or knows anything about it than Christianity. And that's remarkable. But we serve a God that is a God of grace and love. And we want to respond to what he has for us to do. So, Ivan, if you would lead in prayer, but here in a moment, uh, first of all, we would like to ask for prayer requests. Are there prayer requests? Tom. Yep. 
Tom's dad. Um, sounds like there's some more evidence of something that the oncologist is interested in. And uh, pray for God's will to be done. Uh, for Rollin and Pat, but for their situation, but also a praise report for Rollin because the, the uh, report that his cancer was back is indeed false. So we'll say that the machine was miscalibrated, but there may have been some other things going on. So. Okay, with that, let's, let's bow in prayer. Ivan.
And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Happy Mother's Day. All the mothers here. I find that verse to show God's omniscience or God knows everything. And in that, he shows his creative genius, if you will, that he would create a woman who is so diametrically different from a man, such that a psychologist once wrote a book in the analogy that they were from totally different planets. And they're actually, he's going to put them back together. So God is a creative genius. And he said, I will make him a help meet or suitable for him. Since it is Mother's Day, uh, I do want to speak about that today. And I sought the advice of my most trusted advisor uh, on this, who's a woman. And then, that's my wife. And then I also sought the advice of some of the other women that I highly respect uh, about this. And I realized that to speak to you today, on this day, on this day where we'll honor mothers, for me is an honor to myself because those women that we want to honor today, uh, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 14, let the women keep silence in the church. So I couldn't convince them on their day that we're going to honor them to come speak to us and give us wisdom, but I am here today to speak to you. So I find that a very great honor. So thank you for attending today, mothers. The Mother's Day that we honor today uh, started in about 1905. There was a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis that advocated uh, that we would celebrate a day in honor of mothers. And the reason she wanted to do that is because her mother was a peace activist uh, in the late 1800s. And one of the things that her mother, Ann Jarvis, advocated for is that, that the government would stop sending husbands and sons to war to die, but that we would have peace so that the wives, mothers, could have their sons and husbands. In 1905, her mother died, and so she began to make an effort that the entire nation would recognize this, and, and today we have Mother's Day because of this. There may have been some earlier iterations of this day by other people. None really grabbed a hold like this one did. Um, within a couple years, her church, the Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church in Grafton, West Virginia, held a worship service, and they honored mothers on that day. And every year since, we've had Mother's Day. By the time seven years later rolled around, this had gotten large enough that President Woodrow Wilson made a declaration or a proclamation that this would be a national holiday. Um, however, by 1920, the very founder, Anna Jarvis, of Mother's Day, we'll say, 
promoted a boycott to boycott Mother's Day because of the commercialization of the holiday. And I was reading the other morning a quote from Anna Jarvis. I want to read this to you. Uh, Around the time of 1925, she wrote, A printed card means nothing except that you are too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy, you take a box of mother, you take a box to mother and then eat most of it yourself. A pretty sentiment. Now, I find myself, when I started reading that, what grabbed my attention was the statement about the card. Agree wholeheartedly. But then I kept reading and I become convicted of guilt in that I had not wrote to my mom and I had already got online and pre-ordered the candy and pre-paid for it so I could pick up on the way home from work on Friday and I didn't get one box as I got two because I wanted some too. So, today for a worship service, I do want to honor mothers, but we are here to worship God. And in the honor of you mothers, because God created you, we will worship God. We're not going to worship you. We're going to worship God. Anyway, after Anna wrote that statement, I think it was that year, she was eventually arrested at a protest of Mother's Day because of the commercialization. So my protest is today that we're going to worship God, and you all can work out how you honor your mother as far as cards and candy goes. But I do want to recognize, and I had Dad read this scripture in Ruth, that the essence of mothers, uh, well, a, a mother is just simply defined a woman that has children. And God gives or orchestrates women to be mothers in all kinds of ways. Um, Sometimes the essence, and maybe this is where I want to get to at the end of this message, sometimes the essence of a mother um, is performed by a woman. You know, I think about my own son, my little 20-month-old son, and we've been working through this item in the night where he don't like to sleep. So if mom goes in there, then, then he thinks it's maybe time to get up and get something to eat. But now we've figured out that if dad goes in there, as soon as he hears the low voice that's dad, he knows immediately that it's time to go back to sleep. So regardless of how you were given children, um, in in all kinds of ways, like like Ruth got daughters-in-law, or or Ruth, uh, Naomi got daughters-in-law, um, and, and then the, the sons passed away and the husbands passed away and this started to look like a, a very tough situation and in the spirit of a mother she said I'm hopeless don't stay with me so I, I liked that account and thank you for your comments J- just to show that, that regardless of how you get it the, the essence of a mother is something that a woman will fulfill uh, before I move on from that, that's also a very, script, very special scripture to me. There's some verses in there that two weeks from yesterday will be 16 years ago that I stood in front of dad and he read those to me. And he gave me his daughter to be my wife. And uh, so those are very special verses to me. I kind of was glad to be here and hear him read them again. So 
today for this worship service, I want to consider the position that God has created mothers to fill. And I want to consider the bride of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, I want to consider a woman of valor. So let's start off. That verse I read there when I started was in Genesis. Let's just start off in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, very familiar verses here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said... Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for me, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb and meat, and it was so. Now, the verse I read at the start in Genesis chapter 2 was verse 18 God said that it was not good that man should be alone. Now here in verse 31 of chapter 1, so understanding that Genesis chapter 2 is a summary of this time uh, when God created man and woman, God reached a point there in verse 18. He said, it is not good. But listen to what he says here in, in chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and said, Behold, it is very good. There could have, there's other things you can read about happened there, but one of the very important things happened was God created a woman after he said that it is not good the man's alone, and then he reaches the conclusion that it is very good. So let's look in chapter 2, verse 21, about how the woman was created. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man so Adam falls asleep God opens up his side this translation says takes a rib somehow or another out of his side he made a woman. Uh, I guess I should have read the next verse here. Yeah, in verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So the position that God is creating woman in is out of the side of the man and for the man so that he's not alone thinking about mother's day then move on to chapter 3 verse 16 and we're skipping over uh, an impactful episode with a snake and and some fruit Um, and we all know the result of that but 
Chapter 3, verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So here, God is establishing the fact that the woman will be the mother. This seems a bit elementary when I start out here. We run into some thought processes these days to, to think that maybe this isn't the case. So I feel like it's a good idea to just kind of review this and read these scriptures um, to lay a foundation, uh, continuing on in verse 16, In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and, they, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Um, I found a, a quote from another person here um, that I want to read. You've probably heard of Matthew Henry, the guy that wrote the commentary on the whole Bible. And when he uh, wrote some some things about this passage of scripture, he said this. He observed that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. I hope you're... We all well understand, but I hope you're getting the picture of the, the position that God created this woman and put her in, and then ultimately, in his blessing of children, however he does that, makes her a mother, which is what we're honoring today. Um, I want to look at then, continuing on in the position that God created a mother to fill. Let's look at some verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to move to the New Testament here. You'll quickly recognize this passage as where we get direction on the headship covering. Uh, we get some direction on the Lord's Supper, communion, and so on. In this discussion, Paul just makes some statements here again. Probably nothing new to you, but consider these statements, maybe not the normal topic we think about when we read this, but let's look at the position, that, how Paul explains the position that the woman's in. Verse 3, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Not wanting to leave anything out, but skip to verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man, referencing the creation that we read about in Genesis, where Adam fell into a deep sleep, and God took a part out and created the woman. Verse 9, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man, in the Lord. Fascinating. They're equals, is, is my interpretation of that. God has created... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read verse 12. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. Everybody has a mother. But all things are of God. He is involved in this creation. So what I was going to say is in, 
First Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about that the, the woman is in subjection, or the, the wives are in subjection to their own husbands, and we are to give honor to the wife. So that's what we're doing today to moms as the weaker vessel. So God has created an equal being, but in being weaker, she is just physically not as strong. So if you were coming to worship today, knowing it's Mother's Day and thinking like, well, I've got my cards, I've got my candy, I'm not going to get any more instruction. As I go through this, I start to find that there's a lot of instruction for us as men in how we are supposed to um, honor as the weaker vessel or protect her authority because she is a creation equal to us from God we have a lot of responsibility to help mothers be mothers, men, regardless uh, of what state we find ourselves in. Paul also says over here in verse 12, or chapter 12, uh, let's read that, verse 23. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor. So it's easy for us to humans, as humans to look at a situation like more is better or stronger is better. But in the case of this creation, God's created equal beings and he's gave us both a position or a role, you might say, to fulfill. And we need to answer when he calls to, to fulfill that. One of ours as men is to help mothers be mothers. Uh, we have special tools that we've been given by God. And one of them is that we are just physically stronger. So we need to provide. Um, we, could, we could go on on that for a while. But hear that when you hear these um, statements or, or when you read that in the Bible. And that's about the women hear that as the man that that is your responsibility to help her be that so what I'm I guess where I'm wanting to get to or what I'm wanting to show with all these scriptures is that God has created a human being in the position of subjection humility and humility and she is very gentle and kind now I want to compare that then to the bride of Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. And there's one verse here. I'm, I'm probably pulling it out of context or just jumping in in the middle. I hope you're writing all these verses down because we're just kind of breezing through stuff here. There's a lot of context you could get. Hebrews chapter 8. In verse 5, Paul is talking about Old Testament, tabernacle, sacrifices, priests. And in verse 5, he makes this point that the priests who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. I want to propose to you today that God has created women and that they serve unto the shadow and, an exa and example of heavenly things. Our Lord Jesus Christ has a bride, the church. 
And we all have an example living right here with us all the time of godly women that just simply existing, they show his image. They show a part of him. And it's like he created them just to speak more about himself. So comparing that then to the bride of Christ, now I want to go to John chapter 19 and read verse 33. Remember that when God created the first woman, he put Adam into a deep sleep. He took out of his side and closed it back up and he created the woman. I'm now thinking about this bride of Christ. And here in John chapter 19, Jesus has been crucified. They have begged for the body of Jesus. In verse 33, but when they came to Jesus to see if he was alive, they saw that he was dead already and they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And with this blood, God created the bride of Jesus Christ. He has, with his blood, cleansed us and, and created his church, which is all of us, which is the, the bride waiting for the fulfillment of the marriage. This is also explained in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read that too. When Paul's talking about marriage. And I'm thinking about here Paul gives us good instructions for husbands and wives in marriage, yet I'm thinking about the bride of Christ in relationship to himself. Uh, verse 22, chapter 5 of Ephesians, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself or died for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish." So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So in his death, in shedding of blood, he has created a bride for him. And during this time, what's the reason you're here on earth is he is perfecting his church to be ready to meet him when he comes. 
then our responsibility, so we're talking today and we're honoring mothers, but everyone's responsibility inside of this bride of Christ is to let God use you for him to produce or create more children, children of God. We may have to give ourselves up for that in some way or another. Um, there are missionaries that travel to different countries and some people give up their life in cases like that, all focused on the husband, Jesus Christ, and the example that he set for us. Jesus himself also said that like the marriage that was in the Old Testament, how when, when people would get married, they would do a little different than like we do today. Um, history would tell us that they would have a small service and commit to each other and they were legally married but then the husband would go off to typically his father's property or house and create a place or fix up the house or remodel it or whatever for him and his new wife to live and when that was all done he would come back and that's when the big wedding feast would happen and that's when the marriage would be consummated. So us also in this time where Jesus has died and shed his blood and we have committed to him through baptism, he has gone back to heaven, or he said in John chapter 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us, and if it weren't so, he would have told us. So we live during this time in submission to him. We're in subjection to him. We are weaker than him, and we are placed in a world that only values power and we're supposed to be here and be, what's the term we use, non-resistant in our warfare for him. So what does that look like? That brings us to the woman of valor. That would be Proverbs chapter 31. In verse 10, the translation we read says... A virtuous woman, depending on what original text some translator would use, and I'm not smart enough to, to do that myself, but this could be said, this first sentence here in verse 10 of chapter 1, or chapter 31, could be said, a woman of valor who can find. Jewish people today, as I understand it, still have a tradition those that observe the Sabbath every Saturday on Friday night before the Sabbath meal, the man of the house will read this passage of Scripture to the woman, to the mom, in honor of her. And I told you earlier that I had got some advice from some trusted advisors that were women, and one of the pieces of advice was, is don't talk about this. So I may be getting myself into a little bit of trouble here, but I want us all to hear the reading of this in honor of mother, but not to mother. This is to us, the bride of Christ. And when you hear the husband mentioned in these verses, it's Jesus Christ. And you men, you women, you children here today in the church, you are the woman of valor. Because in the world we live in, valor being... Um, great courage in the face of danger in the position that Jesus has created us in we are going to have to have great valor so 
listen to it in this way. This, interestingly enough, was written as an acrostic poem, or each one of these verses begins with the first, the first word begins with a letter, a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, we don't know Hebrew anymore, but it appears like to me it was written to be memorized, so that it was easy to memorize, so we all need to remember this. And just because you got your cards and chocolate don't mean you're off the hook today. So listen to this. A woman of valor who can find, for her price is far above rubies. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he will have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She bringeth forth her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she stretches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet or the blood of Jesus. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, men, when we go to work, like the, the gates that are spoken of here would be the place that the town business was done. When we go to work, we need to have Jesus coming out of us so much that our husband here will be known in the place of business. She makes fine linen and sells it and delivers girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously or of valor, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The bride of Christ, when we follow his example, and, and when we take these to heart, all of us, when it comes time, when he shows up and has the appointment with us, and we stand in front of him, he will praise us by saying, well done. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So I don't read that to you today, moms. I read that to the bride of Christ. Um, in conclusion here, I want to tell you about then, I'm thinking about, I'm back to kind of the essence of a woman. Uh, an experience I had, I guess it's about a couple years ago now. Um, it's kind of fascinating that we can call 2020 two years ago already. In 2020, we were going to be having another child. Uh, Rachel had some pregnancy complications, and so she had to, it wasn't too bad, she just had to, mom, with three kids, had to sit in the chair all day long. That was what the doctor said, or possibly because of these early labor things, the baby's going to come too early. So, inside of the Bride of Christ... The moms of the congregation, one of them comes up to me and says, I'm going to make you food and I'm going to 
set it up so that all the ladies get together and you're going to show up at church on Sunday and there's food out in the freezer. And then another one of the ladies here in the congregation said, I'm not going to freeze mine. You tell me the night and I'm going to bring it to you. It's going to be warm. You tell me the time, you tell me the night, and I'll be there. So we got that all set up. It was on Tuesday night. Well, Monday night before that, there arose some more pregnancy issues, and we had to go to the hospital. So last minute, this sister here in the congregation had put all this together, and we canceled it. She said, that's all right. Um, So let me know. So we got out of the hospital, and it was Thursday night. Then, two days, two nights later, that she was coming. Well, in the meantime, on Wednesday, revivals had started that week. So she was going to be at our house at 6 o'clock with all the food, ready to go. And then she was leaving, and she was coming to revival meeting. And uh, it was perfect timing. She, they pulled in right on time, and her and her husband come walking in with armloads of food. Set it out on the table, hot, ready to go, but... Before that, she says, where's Rachel? I, I need to see how she's doing. Remember, I'm, I'm talking about like the essence of motherhood and the bride of Christ. And so she went out in the living room to where Rachel's sitting in the chair and talked to her, checked on her, made sure everything was good, helped her spiritual needs, then came back in the kitchen. And meantime, her husband had said, well, I'm going out to get another load. So two arm loads weren't enough. We're getting more. So he was back in, and we had it all out on the table, and she started to give me instructions. And there, in her instructions, there were these meatballs, and hey, by the way, that looked like a really good recipe you gave us, because we have some food sensitivities, so she used our recipe. In fact, I made some for myself, too. So she complimented me while she's here just serving my every need, and she gets to the jelly for the bread, and there's not one. There's not two types of jelly, but there's three types of jelly. And I kind of glance over at her husband, and he just smiles and shrugs his shoulders and says, she does this all the time. And when, when she's all done giving me the instructions of all this food, I'm speechless. Like, not very often am I speechless, I guess, but I'm speechless. And I, I feel this debt. Like, right now, I cannot pay this. There, there's no way. We're taking care of kids. Mom is sitting in the chair all day, every day. And now after this little episode, probably even more. Like, we were still doing too much. And all I had was thank you. This, this is, I told her, I said, this is perfect timing. Thank you. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, it's the least we can do. So, take it from a mother today. Honor your mother. She was created by God. She was put in a position that requires us men to take very, very good care of her. And however you work that out, wife, mother, daughter, honor her. It's the least we can do. Let's go to prayer. Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we stop at the end of this service to pray to you, to 